Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 37. And we are going to continue our series called Stories of the Beginning. Today we begin a two-part story on the life of Joseph. Well, Joseph had a dream. Now, do you remember your dreams? When you dream at night, you wake up remembering what those dreams are? I don't. I wake up knowing I had a dream or two, knowing that they were weird, but I can't remember a single detail. On the other hand, my wife Kathy gives me a detailed dream story almost every morning. She has this recurring dream where I force her to sell our house and move out of town. Sometimes that dream ends up in divorce. Well, Joseph has a whopper of a dream. He actually has two dreams, and he remembers every detail. Now, dreaming is fine. Dreaming at night is fine. Dreaming of the future is fine. All of that's fine. We should all dream. But unfortunately, Joseph isn't very tactful in how he shares his dreams with his family. And that's going to come back to bite him. We'll see that as we read through this story. Now, second question, if you're a parent... Do you have a favorite child? Do they know it? Sorry, that's not good. Don't do that. It's what Jacob did, Joseph's father. Joseph was his favorite. He was the first son from his favorite wife. Now, men, if you have a favorite wife, (laughs) not good. So Joseph is Jacob's favorite, and everybody knows it. Jacob makes it clear by making Joseph a pretty coat. The Bible calls it ornate, very colored, or the coat of many colors. Broadway calls it the technicolor dream coat, whatever. Jacob is just following in the footsteps of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, who also had favorite sons. It's the recipe for a jacked-up family. And that's exactly what this family is. Now, fortunately, as the story will play out over this weekend next, and this is good news for us, God can take any jacked-up family and heal it. So Jacob's 11 other sons know Joseph is his favorite. Jacob's wives know it. Worst of all, Joseph knows it, and he rubs it in. Now, playing favorites like that, taking taking advantage of being the favorite, recipes for a family feud, and we're about to see a rip-roarer here. So let's start the story. Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So here's the scene here. Jake, all of Jacob's sons, including Joseph, are out in the field working. When Joseph decides to head home and see his daddy and tattle on his brothers. Now, I'm not sure what this bad report was, but at the very least, he's probably calling him lazy. 
Instead of chastising Joseph for being a tattletale, Joseph reward, or Jacob rewards him by making him a fancy coat. Now, parents, that's not a good idea. Can you see how the brothers respond here? They don't direct their hate onto the father who created the problem, but onto Joseph, their brother. Then Joseph has his first dream. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to my this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Well, the symbolism of the dream is pretty clear, isn't it? Joseph, the younger son, would eventually rule over his older brothers. Now, would you tell such a dream to your brothers and sisters? Bad move, Joseph. I think you're better off keeping your mouth shut. But Joseph knows that his bad behavior will only be rewarded by his dad. Was before, maybe he gets multicolored pants out of the deal. (laughs) But the hatred his brothers have for him is only growing. And then Joseph has a second dream. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told it to his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Well, this dream's even worse. You know, we could have given Joseph a pass the first time, right? After all, he's only 17 years old. But in the second dream, his dad and his mom are included, and they too will be ruled by the son. He's really pressing his luck. Now, as you probably know, when the story plays out, Joseph's dreams will come true. He will rule over his family and many others. But throw this in their face right now? I don't think that's a very good idea. And before the prophecies of Joseph's dreams are fulfilled, Joseph will endure much hardship. Why? Because he opened his mouth and because he had a lofty attitude. Now, you'd think at this point, maybe Jacob, his father, would give Joseph a real talking to, wouldn't you? And he does kind of rebuke him a little bit, but ever so gently, I think. And then he keeps the matter in mind. You see, Jacob had had his own dreams, messages from God. And perhaps he's thinking now, well, this is my favorite son. God is talking to my favorite son. And so he doesn't really counsel him. He doesn't draw the line and say, Joseph, that's enough. And because Jacob doesn't draw the line, the brothers will draw their own lines. 
Trouble is on its way. These brothers, and remember, they're grown men. They're not children. Are not only hate-filled, they're jealous. And so things are about ready to explode in this family. Let's read on. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Jacob said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. On to verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and take a ferocious and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, Joseph, notice here, Joseph is not coming out to help his brothers with the flocks, is he? He's coming out to check up on them. And for all they know, Joseph is intent on returning to his dad with just another bad report. They've had their fill of this guy. And they don't just want to hurt Joseph now. They want to be done with him. They want to kill him. They must be thinking, you know, dad thinks Joseph's dreams are some prophecy of the future. Well, we'll put that prophecy to rest. But one of the brothers, the oldest, he has second thoughts. Let's read on. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. It was a dry well. Okay, so should we give Reuben some credit here? Maybe half credit. He's the oldest, you see, and if Joseph dies out here in the field, Jacob will blame him. He's just protecting himself, and Joseph still ends up in a hole, right? So he doesn't go all the way and do what is right at the right time. Is he afraid of the crowd? Is he afraid of his brothers? Is he justifying the lesser wrong and calling that right? He hates Joseph along with the rest of his brothers, but who is he trying to please? What is the right thing to do here? Sure, saving Joseph from murder is right, but is allowing him to be thrown in a cistern instead okay? He's rescuing Joseph, but is he really? He might think that he is and that he will take him back to the safety of his father. But for now, Joseph is at the bottom of a deep and narrow pit with no way out. So let's read on, see what happens. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, "'What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood?' Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. 
His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? So just like Reuben, Brother Judah has good motives but wrong actions. He's selling his brother into slavery. Now, in this culture, most slaves are horribly abused and die an early death because of it. So this is still a death sentence. But, Judah rationalizes, we won't kill him. The blood won't be on our hands. Oh, yeah? Says who? Says God? I don't think so. So the Midianites, this nomadic tribe of Ishmaelites, by Joseph, take him to Egypt. We'll pick up his story next week. For now, Reuben feels betrayed by his brothers, but a cover-up is necessary, and he's a willing participant. Surely, he can't tell Dad the truth. So we read the story on. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Now, when we sin, we really have two responses to sin. It's very simple. Either we confess the sin or we cover it up. So the question is this, when life is not going that well and we don't know what to do, what do we do? Do we deal with the sin? Do we confess it and come clean? Or do we cover it up and rationalize it away? Did these brothers man up before their father and tell the truth? Of course not. And I'm afraid we don't very often do that either. But I tell you, dealing with the truth is a whole lot easier than living with a lie or remembering what lies we've told. Lies always come back to haunt us. For the brothers, it certainly will. For now, they think they've gotten away with it. And as long as these 11 keep the matter to themselves, nobody will ever know. As it is, their father has lost all hope that his son is alive. Well, what follows next is one of the great words in the Bible. The word is meanwhile. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. My friends, meanwhile here means that God is still at work. Now, as we'll see next week, Joseph is taken hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He may have been taken out of this cistern, but he's still in a pit. He's still in a valley. Life is hard. Death is facing him. 
Are you in a well? Marriage, finances, job, relationships. Remember this, it's a promise. With God, there is always a meanwhile. Those meanwhiles are places where sometimes it seems like God is absent, where he's not at work, where maybe he doesn't even care, where maybe the dream that we had or that God gave us is long gone, and there's no way to get it back, we think. But God is at work. His hand of providence is at work in the meanwhile. You see, our God is different from all other religions, from all other belief systems. He didn't just create us and then take a step back. You know, you guys are on your own. I think I'll go on vacation and maybe I'll come back in an eon or two and see how it turned out. God doesn't leave, does he? He doesn't go on vacation. Our God is intimately involved with us when we allow him to be. The Bible gives us this reassurance. This is so reassuring to me. It comes out of the Old Testament. He can't take his eyes off of us. He loves us that much. Now, for Jacob, all hope was lost. But was it? No. God was still at work, unknown to him, but still at work. Joseph's prognosis is terrible. But there was a meanwhile at work for both Jacob and Joseph. And it's the same for you, and it's the same for me. For Jacob and Joseph, perhaps for you, the story doesn't get better right away, but it will, because there's a meanwhile there. God is still at work. So that's God's meanwhile. Your meanwhile is to hold on to God. You know, you can blame God, your father, your mother, your spouse, your brother, your sister, your family of origin for your circumstances. Or you can be in your cistern and you can say, God, I'm in trouble, but I'll trust you and lean on you to get me out. Now, if there's something you want me to do, God, to do my part, I'll do it. But I trust your meanwhile. And God will execute his plan, provide you with that way of escape. So while you're slogging through this meanwhile, this valley in your life, what attitude questions should you ask yourself? As we close, I want to give you three on your outline first. Are you focusing on God's dream for you or on your dream for yourself? Is God here to bless you or vice versa? Now, I don't know about you, but if I get to define my own life plan, it will be the white picket fence plan. No family struggles, financial freedom, everybody bows down to the Rick altar. I hate to say it, friends, but that's probably the very definition of today's American dream. Get all you can for yourself. You want to get away from God's dream for you? You want to remove yourself from God's kingdom and his work in the world? It's easy. Create a dream where it's all about you. But I'm here to tell you, friends, that dream won't be the dream that's best for you. 
God had blessed Joseph when he said to him, Joseph, I'm going to do something great in your life. Joseph took the message to his brothers and said, guess what, guys? I am great. God tried it again. Joseph, I'm going to do something great in your life. Joseph said to his brothers and his parents, guess what, guys? I'm great. Joseph still didn't get it. God said, Joseph, you need a well. You need to get over yourself. The second attitude question, have you let go of the coat and the crowd? You see, I don't think Joseph ever needed to go into that pit, but God needed to empty Joseph of Joseph. Joseph needed a detour. He needed a bit of character adjustment. He needed to lose the coat. And once he did, God could then work on godly character, work that would now need to happen under fire and trial. For Joseph, this coat represented self. He was the sinner, and all were bowing down to him. This is important. The brothers didn't take his coat away. God did. This was part of God's meanwhile for Joseph. He needed to bring Joseph down a notch or two. And as we will find out, the lessons will be hard. But God had some character work to do, and in preparation for what he had next for Joseph. So Joseph needed to lose the coat. On the other hand, Reuben needed to let go of the crowd. He had chosen to please his brothers rather than God. Now, how often do you determine in your mind the right thing to do, but when the crowd is around, you weaken? I do it all the time. That's what Reuben did. Now, it's easy here at church, isn't it? But what happens when you go back to the job site or the classroom or even back to your family? Are you ready to stand up for injustice or untruth? Do you choose character and the right thing to do or the crowd? And what's easier or even better for you, you think? And just like Reuben, sometimes we'll go part way with this deal, but not all the way. We need to take it all the way. And you can't make these kind of decisions when you're amongst the crowd, typically. You have to determine ahead of time, God, no matter what comes today, I'll stand for you. If I have to, I'm ready to say, sorry, guys, not here, not on my watch. So we need to lose the coat and we need to lose the crowd. The final attitude question then is, are you serving or being served? Mark 10.45 quotes Jesus giving the disciples his goal for his ministry, why he came to earth. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Although he deserved it, we know this, Jesus didn't walk around with a crown on his head. He didn't ask everybody to kiss his ring. He didn't tell everybody how great he was. Instead, while he was on earth, he walked around and he said, what about them? What about them? Joseph walked around with a fancy coat. It was his way of reminding everyone, including himself, who was special. 
Then he had a couple of dreams and told his brothers and parents that he wasn't born to serve, but to be served. God's response? That doesn't look like my son. Joseph, you need to go in a hole first. Now, when you are in a hole, when you're in the midst of one of God's meanwhiles, don't withdraw. That's the most natural response, isn't it? We tend to want to go into hiding, become anonymous. Instead, move in the other direction. But don't look for a place and a people who will serve you. Find a place to serve. Find a place where others need you, where you can serve them. Nothing else that would remind you that it's not all about you. And you will find yourself, yeah, sometimes slowly, you will find yourself climbing out of that cistern. Remember this, so important. When you are in God's meanwhile, He hasn't abandoned you. He always has His eyes on you. The song we sung, your love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out. It's a promise. He's molding you, preparing you for what's next in His plan for you. God had a plan for Joseph. He even revealed some of His plan in dreams He gave Joseph. What happened? They gave Joseph a big head. You see, Joseph could have humbled himself. He could have remembered this was God's dream for him, not his own dream. He could have laid the colt down. He could have told his dad that he didn't want to be the favorite. He could have served his family, could have told his dad that he wants to work out in the fields alongside his brothers. And God would have still played out Joseph's plan for him. It just would have been a different route. Instead, he bragged his dream to his brothers and parents. He firmly held to this colorful coat, and he demanded his family serve him. So God needed to rock his world a little, create a detour, a meanwhile necessary to mold Joseph into the person he wanted him to be. As we'll see next week, Joseph will learn his lessons well. This story turns out good. Spoiler alert. But Joseph turns into a godly man. There will be hardship, but God will be molding him for a life of godly character and service to others, a real life of purpose now. And guess what also happens? God will heal a jacked-up family. So when God is taking us through these meanwhiles, Are we letting him mold us? Can we let go of our dreams that we've created for ourselves and hold on to God's dream for us? It's the best. Can we then let go of the coat and hold on to a life of humility and service to others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message in the life of Joseph. And Lord, we know that we live a life that is filled with valleys and cisterns and struggles, and not always are they caused by something, some sin we have, we have created or some misbehavior. But Lord, we do need to examine our lives. Help us to examine our lives. Help us to see how you are molding us, especially 
in those times when we are struggling, when the valley is deep, the cistern is deep, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. Lord, may we hold on to your meanwhile. May we serve others. Let go of the coat so that we can live a life of humility and a life that will be focused on serving others. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.